Good morning. Uh, as Stephen said, my name is Kyle. It's an honor to be here. Um, I'm going to read the passage, which is in the bulletin, and then I'll pray and and begin. It's uh, it's a longer passage out of First Samuel 25. I have snippets here, but if you would open it in your, you can open it in your Bible on your phone or something um, as well. So here it is, 1 Samuel 25. And there was a man in my own whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet these men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five says of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried, and got down from the donkey, and fell before David on her face. And bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as as his name is, so he is. Nabal is, is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. The grass withers and the flower fall, flowers fall. Um, Let me pray briefly. Heavenly Father, you are holy and just beyond comprehension. All our efforts come up short, and yet you have blessed us. We come before you asking for your spirit to come and minister to us this morning. Heal us by your word and let our hearts sing to you. May your name be glorified in our midst as we pour out our offerings of thanksgiving. Amen. So as Stephen said, I'm the RUF minister at San Jose State. I became a Christian at RUF at Penn State in Pennsylvania. And it's uh, an honor to be here. It's an honor to be doing this job after 10 years, kind of planning for it, going through seminary. And I just graduated from seminary in May, and I've been in my books. And now I've uh, been out of the books, out of seminary, graduated, and I've been able to uh, get on campus at San Jose State been playing a lot of volleyball and meeting a lot of students. It's been very fun. It's been refreshing for me, and, and there's been a lot of really cool stories from, uh, from the short time with students so far. I'd love to share those with you, but that's not why we're here today. 
We're not here to share um, <clears throat> the, the way that God's at work at San Jose State, but I do want that opportunity because it's been pretty exciting. Um, this keeps kind of sinking on me. But we, we're here uh, today to hear this word from the Lord, this word from 1 Samuel 25. And I think it's, it's, it's an old text, but I think it's, it's still relevant. It's pretty relevant, especially today, leading into Thanksgiving next week, this Sunday before Thanksgiving. I think um, we need this word. I need this word, especially. Some of you might need this as you think about going to visit family uh, at a, a season where, where we're spending more time with extended family and the, the holidays are coming up. And, oh, oh thank you. And so, and so this, yeah, so this season of Thanksgiving, uh, I, I think this text can help us uh, make sense of it, help us um, that's all right. I'll just hang on to this real quick. Um, maybe I'm leaning on it, but so in the season, it, it's a time where we're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to be nice. We're supposed to spend, spend a lot of time with our families and, and we can have a hard time doing that. Families can be hard and we lose patience quickly. There's history, there's unsettled conflict, annoying quirks, and a lot of pressure to have a nice time. Um, And so I know we don't have this relationship yet. You don't know me too well, and I don't know you too well, but I want you to see this word coming from the Lord, uh, from his Bible. And I want the sermon to challenge you, but, um, but more importantly, I want you to see Jesus in this text. Uh, This, this is helpful. Thank you. This um, okay, so we've read the text. Let's jump into this. Um, trying to see Jesus in this text um, from from many years, from many years before he came. All right. So, a modern sage once asked once asked a, a very profound question, uh, and and maybe you'll get this. But she asked, "Why men great till they got to be great? Why men great till they got to be great?" This is. Um, from a modern pop song uh, by Lizzo. But, but she asked this question, why do men seem great, but only until they have to step up? Why do we believe that men, be them boyfriends or husbands or politicians or celebrities, why do we believe they can fulfill these false promises of happiness and security? And then every time we need to depend on them, they fail and they mess up. This is why I'm, I'm here today to answer this question. And another question is, what do you do once they do? What do you do once the people in your life mess up or once you mess up? What do you do when you're not great? Uh, So as I said, this is the pop icon Lizzo asking this question. And this is a serious concern. It's a, a, um, a perennial question. And it's something we all face. Uh, and it's not just men, right? So it's not just men that have a problem, but um, women too. We're, we're, we all have a problem. Because, uh, like, I'm, I'm not as great as I would like to be. I am not as great as I should be. When I was a, a kid at summer camp, when I was probably 10 or 11, uh, I was at summer camp, and a student, uh, another kid budged in front of me, budged in front of line, but he, he came in behind me, and he, he got in behind six other kids, uh, budged in front of six other kids, and we're all waiting patiently for kickball, and uh, he, he came in, and he makes a commotion, and this kid kind of comes in behind me, and, and six other kids behind him, and what do I do but 
punch him. I hit him, and uh, and in my mind, it was defending this principle. I'm I'm doing justice to these six kids behind me, and uh, I'm defending the principle of waiting your turn. And this was justice in my mind. How do you respond when you're insulted or when you witness wrong in the world? When you're scrolling through TikTok or uh, Instagram, Facebook, you see a shooting that happened this morning um, or last night. Uh, when you see Karens kind of do their thing uh, on, on TikTok. Like when you see something wrong happen in the world, how do you respond? And, and I think that there's something in our hearts that lashes out. Sometimes we get irrationally mad at one person because we're actually mad at someone else and we can't do anything about that. Unfortunately, a kid who budged in line when I was a kid wasn't the only one I, I hit growing up. So I once hit a kid because um, he was doing his art project wrong. Like, this kid was doing his art project wrong, in, in my mind. Um, okay, but was I really mad at that kid or could it have been something else, like my parents' divorce? Uh, something entirely outside of my control. So maybe you're not lashing out physically, I hope not. Um, I hope you're not hitting people over their art project, but you still overreact in anger. Passive aggressively, snarky comments, pent up bitterness that just lingers. Some are more direct, some are more passive. But either way, the Lord says we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. As we look at the story, I want to teach you or show you one very important thing. And if, you, if you're a note-tayer, this is the main point, I think, of this passage, what we're supposed to learn. Because we're fools just like David, we need someone to stand between us and God. Because we're fools just like David, we need someone to stand between us and God. Who will be that one to stand between you and a wrathful God? The person, of course, is Jesus. Uh, we here might know that, but he brings this gift to the Father on our behalf. A gift that stays and stops the hand of judgment uh, and, and brings this offering of peace to the, to the Lord. Now, Jesus is not a character in the story, but um, I will get us there. I hope to show you through this text three ways that lead us there. The first, righteous anger. Second, misplaced justice. And finally, an offering of peace. So righteous anger. I want to show you this in this text here. If you missed it or in the reading, it's 1 Samuel 25. And there's three characters. The story is fairly simple. Three characters, David, Abigail, and Nabal. And the plot summary is David is mad at Nabal. Opens up, I, I opened up with this question from Lizzo, why men great till they got to be great? And that is here in this text, but there's another one here. Is, the question is, is David's anger at Nabal justified? Was he right to be mad at Nabal in the story? I personally think that we can say yes. He is right to be mad at Nabal. It's just anger. It's righteous anger. He's right to be upset. And there's a principle here as to why. And the, it, the principle is simple. The king deserves special treatment. David's the king, and the king deserves special treatment. The rightful king is owed obedience. And on top of that, David served Nabal in the wilderness by protecting his men and the sheep. So the rightful and good king is owed and deserves respect. Um, this principle is true. But this principle is also very important to David, and I want to show you why, um, why this is so important to David. We're in chapter 25, but if we were to jump back to chapter 16, we'd see David anointed by Samuel and anointed as king over Israel. And then for like 10 chapters, so uh, 17 
on, we have David on the run from Saul because Saul's the king and David was anointed king and they're feuding and David's on the run and Saul's trying to kill him. And then just before this story in chapter 24, David has a chance to kill Saul. And this is a critical moment and a critical piece of conflict in the story. And David like could get rid of Saul and be over and the conflict would be over. So Saul's chasing David through the desert and David and his men are hiding in the back of a cave in chapter 24. And Saul stopped with his men right outside the cave. And then for, for some privacy, Saul goes into the cave to go to the bathroom. And this is perfect. This is a perfect opportunity for David. And he sees his chance. He, David grabs his knife. He sneaks up into the cave while Saul's going to the bathroom. And he sneaks up and he's about to strike. And he's about to stab Saul in the back. And he says, no, I can't do that. This is the Lord's anointed. Saul, who I was about to stab, is anointed by the Lord. This is important. Um, I can't kill him. And instead, he takes a piece of Saul's robe and he just cuts off a piece of the robe, part of his shirt, and he doesn't hurt the king. And he slinks back and he waits. And Saul finishes his business and goes out. David follows out of the cave, shows it. He holds up the piece of cloth. He says, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul's cut to the heart. And he says this. He says, you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. You have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Okay. David is a great guy. David sounds like a great guy. He's a good king. He's merciful. He's just. He's nice. At least that's what we would think if this passage didn't follow right after. But we do learn an important thing from chapter 24, and that the king deserves special treatment. And this principle is important to David, and it's important to us. But the king deserves special treatment regardless how wicked he is. David could not have killed Saul, and this is the right thing to do. And so after this passage, chapter 24, chapter 25 comes, and there's this little, um, there's this little verse that we skipped. It says, and Samuel died. So verse 1 of chapter 25, and Samuel died. So Saul is the king. He's been very important in Israel. He's the first king, very important man. Samuel is the prophet, very important guy. Two, two books in the Bible, right? First and second Samuel. These two important figures in Israel are gone. Saul, Saul's out of the picture. Samuel dies. He's out of the picture. And up to this point, David has been this paragon of moral virtue. He's killed Goliath. He's done what's right. He's protected the men. He's done everything he's supposed to do as king. And he's been contrasted to Saul, who constantly messed up. And this is it. This is the moment, chapter 25, the first chance that David gets. It's all up to David. Will David be great now that he has to be great? We get chapter 25, and it's a change of pace, right? We have chapter 24, and David and Saul, there's a lot of conflict, and then slows down. The story slows down, and we read this verse of this chapter about... Abigail and Nabal, two new characters. Um, after this near climax in 24, narrator changes his tune. It says, there's this man in Maon, and all these details of a rich man, Nabal, and his wife, Abigail. So these two are important. The question is, why? Look how it, uh, the Bible describes this man, Nabal. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel that's fancy. Like, that is a rich man. If you're an Israelite reading this text, you're impressed. The sheep shearing time is payday. 
He's going to sell the wool, and he's going um, to make all his money kind of in one year. He's going to make it today. And it's a payday that comes once a year. He's had all this anxiety. Will the sheep survive? Will the goats survive? Will I get my money and be able to live another year? Um, so this day of the sheep shearing is the years long anxiety, year long anxiety dissipated, and he can celebrate a successful fiscal year. The project's over, it's on time, under budget, like the sales are going through the roof, right? Like the, the, there's no bugs in the code, the rockets landed on Mars. Like this is a day of celebration. This is not a day for conflict. Um, it's payday and Christmas bonus all wrapped up into one. And you're reading this and you say, oh, wealthy. Okay, wealthy man. Time of the festival, hospitality, celebration. And then it says, and his name was Nabal. If we were to hear this in the Hebrew, it would be like, okay, something's wrong. Nabal means fool. Nabal means fool. It's the same Nabal in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or Nabal says in his heart, there is no God. It's not a good look. And this man is a man of many contrasts. He's rich, but he's stupid. His name is Fool, but his wife's name is Abigail, which means my wife or my father was delighted. He's harsh and badly behaved, and she is discerning and beautiful. Discerning and beautiful. This, uh, his wife is Beyonce. His wife is um, Scarlett Johansson, and he's Colin Jost. Um, this is like a major contrast. And if you want to know more about Abigail, you could read uh, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, the, Psalm, the Proverb 31 woman, the woman of valor. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This woman is a powerful woman, and everything points to Abigail as running the business. And Nabal is a Calebite. He's a dog. It means dog. So before he does anything, we have low, low expectations for Nabal, and he's not a good guy. So David hears this. Here's the rich man, and he sends this polite email via messenger boy. This is verses 5 through 9, which, um, which I cut out there. But it says, peace be to you, peace be to, to your house, peace, peace be to all that you have. Can we eat with you? We're hungry, and it's a feast day. We've protected your men. We've protected your sheep. Let us celebrate with you in peace. Signing off, King David Nabal, how does he respond? He's not buying it. First, Nabal feigns ignorance in verse 10. Who is David? He really wants to rub it in. He says, who is the son of Jesse? Okay, you don't use someone's last name if you actually don't know who they are. Um, so he, he knows who David is, and he says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? You're, you're kind of nothing. And then he really w- wants to rub it in, and he says, there are many servants breaking away from their masters. And with this, he, he jabs at David for how David left Saul. He, he, was, uh, he overthrew Saul, and Nabal says, I could do the same. And then, he really, okay. <coughs> and then he really shows his hand in verse 11. Listen to, these pro, listen to the pronouns. Listen to the emphasis. He says, shall I take my bread, my water, my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Okay, Nabal, you're a greedy jerk. He's, he's gotten everything, all the anxiety of the year on the sheep. He's gotten his whole payday and his Christmas bonus. He's gotten everything, and he's still mad that he has to share any of it. 
So David's anger is justified. The king deserves special treatment, and Nabal owed David respect, and he did the opposite. So that's point number one. David's anger is justified. And point number two, this one's really simple. Point number two is you don't go around killing people that insult you. Like, come on, David, it's in the Bible. Um, Thou shalt not kill. This is the simplest point. David should have known better, and this was an overreaction. This is misplaced justice. Do you know in the cartoons when you maybe you got Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck are in a boat, and they're, like, stranded, stranded in a boat in the middle of the ocean, and, and, like, Bugs Bunny will row this way on this side of the boat, and then, like, Daffy Duck will row this way on the other side of the boat, and they're kind of going in a circle? Um, and they're stranded, and they're looking at each other, and they say, you know, we, we should make a plan. We should get out of this. Uh, we should work together. I'm really hungry. And then the other looks across. And we see from their eyes, and we see Bugs Bunny turning into, like, a Thanksgiving drumstick. Uh, we see him, uh, he's so hungry that everything starts to look like food. I think this is David in this passage. The, it, he's not hungry for food, though. He's, he's hungry for blood. And he doesn't see a sirloin steak, he doesn't see a honey ham, but he sees Saul's head on Nabal's body. He sees the chance to get back at Saul on Nabal, who doesn't matter and who's worthless. And he doesn't blink. He doesn't stop. He doesn't think. He just says, as soon as Nabal's words come back, he straps on his sword. And they're going to kill him. So as we saw, David couldn't kill Saul because he was God's anointed king. But now David's in the other position. Nabal's a nobody. Nobody likes him. His name means fool. So it's okay. It's okay to kill kill this guy, Nabal. At least that's what David thinks. And he's self-righteous about it. We, we saw in verse 21, uh, sorry, we saw in chapter 24, um, Saul said, you have, re- uh, you have returned me evil for good. So David has returned, um, sorry, you've returned me good for evil. David returned to Saul good when Saul was trying to do evil to him. And then now David says this. He says, surely in vain I've guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. So now David's done good, and Nabal's paying him back evil. So because, uh, because David was good before, he can do an evil now, and it's a wash, and he thinks he has a free pass. Um, he, he's, he's done one good one, now he's going to do one bad one. Um, and that's, that's how I act. Right? Like, that's how we all act, I think. It, it's, we have an excuse. Um, but you don't kill people when they insult you. You don't punch the kid in art class. Uh, you don't lash out at your coworkers or your wife or your boss. You don't criticize your kids because you're angry about something you couldn't do at work. It's misplaced justice. But God has a plan. While Nabal's off being a jerk over here, David is preparing for his massacre over here, and God is shaping events in the background that will save both their lives. And for this, they need an offering of peace. An offering of peace. This is the last point. I think we, I think we love the story of the prodigal son. I think it's appropriate to love that story. Um, the boy takes his father's inheritance to Europe, and he spends it all in Amsterdam and squanders it all, and then he, he returns to the father. The father opens his arms, and everything's happy. Um, it's a beautiful story. It, it's a true picture of God's love and affection for us, but I, I have two problems with that story. Um, 
simply because it's not the whole picture. It's not the whole picture. The story of the prodigal son is beautiful, but it's not the whole picture. First, can we really say that we're going to return to the father as the prodigal son? Will Nabal just get over it and do what's right to David? Will we, um, will we just one day say, oh, I'm kind of done sinning. I'll, I want to go back to God now. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how the Bible speaks about our sin. Ephesians 2.1 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, while we were off being the prodigal son, we died amongst the pigs. We, um, we died with our sin, and we, without God's help, are dead in our trespasses. Uh, we're not coming back to God. And Romans 1 says we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became Nabals, right? They became fools. Our hearts are darkened. We're not returning to God on our own. We're all fools. We're dead. Secondly, Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So the second problem I have with this prodigal son, again, because it's not the whole picture, is we're not going back to God. And God, if he's just, he cannot give us anything but the death we deserve. Uh, we earned death, not just by our anger, but by our lust, by our selfishness, by our greed. With every sin, we put ourselves on God's throne, and we usurp it, and we take his place and act as though we are God. And so before the prodigal son story can be true, before the God can open his arms and receive us, we need, uh, we need to bring him an offering of peace. We need to satisfy his anger. And, uh, and the same is true for Nabal. Nabal uh, is deserving of David's wrath, uh, maybe not to the point of death, but David's about to kill him anyway because he didn't show due honor and he did not show hospitality. So what it would take is this offering of peace, and it comes through a loving mediator who acts in Nabal's place. In verse 14, Abigail hears of David's plan against her husband. She jumps into action. She's a girl who knows how to get things done. She gathers what Nabal should have gathered. She uh, she look at her, look, look at this in um, verse 14. Grab 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep, five saves of parched grain. Get the cheese board, get the deviled eggs, get the arugula salad. Like it's, it's, she's getting everything she needs for Thanksgiving dinner and she's bringing it out to David and it, and it's satisfying. Like it's, it, she knows where everything is. She knows how to do it. And it's clear she's running this business. Um, it's a very satisfying plan that she puts together. She takes all this food out, and she intercedes for her worthless husband. She says, on me be the guilt. On me be the guilt. Do not consider Nabal, for he is worthless. He is not worth your time. He's definitely not worth the blood guilt. And she asks for forgiveness um, and then gives the feast that, that David deserved and that David and his men needed. And these go hand in hand. She asks for forgiveness, and she brings the offering of peace. And the king has been satisfied, and his wrath is dissipated. Um, you can, I, I, I'll ask you to look at this later, but um, Abigail's story is, or Abigail's speech to David is tactful and masterful um, diplomacy, and she's, just, she's a woman to learn from, um, and very fascinating, it, that this, this speech to her the speech that she gave to David. Um, 
But I want to focus on that. Uh, I do encourage you to go read that and, and learn something from Abigail. But this story is more about what, we, uh, what it takes for the wrath to be satisfied. And with this uh, speech in mind, with, with her offering of peace, um, you have to imagine that David was thinking about this story when he wrote Psalm 23. It says, you, you might be familiar, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And typically we read that as like, oh, I got something good while I was afraid from enemies I was eating. Um, well, I, I think this kind of changes the picture. I think how I can see this influ- influencing that, that psalm is that the food and the table before his enemies actually protects the enemies. The food that David eats the offering that David gets from Abigail actually saves the enemy's lives. Um, and I, I think that's curious. I, I don't know if that's the case, but I, I think that we could see that both ways in the, that uh, Psalm 23. Because the feast stays David's hand and saves the enemy's lives. And David forgives her because he got the offering that he should have gotten. And he, he received uh, welcome and hospitality on this festival day. Um, two men saved by the life of this woman of valor. This is what's required. I think this is what 1 Samuel 25 is teaching us, that even though the king deserves due honor, uh, only an offering of peace can stay the hand of the wrathful king when, when it was insulted. It also shows us David's sin. David's sin. He overreacted. So this is a minor point, but I think it's pretty important. Um, the answer to the question, why men great till they got to be great, is sin. We're sinful. And you don't want a sinful man in the position of king. You don't want a sinful man in position of president of the world. Like, again, minor point, but important, uh, important nonetheless. Joe Biden's not the ruler we need. Donald Trump's not the ruler we need. No sinful person is going to rule this world in peace and justice in the way that we need them to. And no sinful person will solve the problems of sin, pain, and death. But we have one, Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne today, and today he rules the world in wisdom, and he will soon rule the world, world in power. He will sit as judge and reign over this world. So if you haven't considered this, consider that the fact that there is a judge. There is a judge, and you must ask how you will fare when you face him. For one answer of this question, how you will fare when you face this judge, look at Nabal. What happens to Nabal? We didn't read the whole chapter, but if you look at verse 38, it says, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. The Lord has a duty and the right to kill evildoers. David couldn't kill him over a mere insult, but the way Nabal is described, we know he didn't just reject David, he rejected the Lord. The phrase in verse 3 is uh, he's badly behaved. We could translate this as evildoer, doing evil deeds. Nabal is an evildoer. There's none who does good. Not David, not us, not Nabal. We all need our Abigail to stand between us and the wrathful king. This person is Jesus. He can be your Abigail. I think when, when Abigail brings this offering to David, scales fell from his eyes, and uh, his heart was softened. Where he once saw Saul's head on Nabal's body, I think he could have seen his own, as if in a mirror. 
a fool before the living God. We are all like this. We are all Nabals before the living God. And we need our Abigail. Your Abigail is Christ if you accept him. His offering of peace is available today. He will act as your Abigail. He brings the offering of peace, which is not just food and nuts and raisins, but it is his own body. He, um, he is the high priest, but he is also the Lamb of God. And this Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He satisfies the justice of God. And this God then invites you to his table not to die, but to sit and eat, even though you've been a fool. Come and sit and eat with the Lord and the King of glory. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll, Stephen will come up. O oh Lord, we have been fools. Help us see this offering of Jesus Christ on our behalf and turn to him before it's too late. God, forgive our foolishness. Send us your Holy Spirit to make us rejoice like David, who said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me this day. We long for the day when you will return to reign in truth and justice. Help us to reflect your kingdom with our words and actions. Amen.